And let's open together our copies of God's Word to Luke's Gospel once again. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. We have been working our way through Luke's Gospel. Last week we had arrived at the birth of our Savior. And today, the shepherds who bear witness to his birth. Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Almighty God and our Savior, we are grateful that we, your children, may come to you as a heavenly Father and lisp our praise just as little infants, really. You, infinite, eternal, unchangeable God, we sinners saved by grace, we know so little. And yet we know from your word what we need to know for our salvation and to walk faithfully. And so we pray that as your people gather together under the authority of your word this morning, that you will help us once again to see Christ on the page of every text, including this one, and that your people will grow in grace. Accelerate us in growth in grace in this congregation. Help us to be holy. Help us to be Christ-like. Help us to love you and, and loving you to love others. And Heavenly Father, we also pray that those among us today who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ may be by your Spirit drawn out of darkness into light, that they may trust in Christ alone as the Savior and help this preacher to preach. As an old Puritan put it, as a dying man to dying men. For Lord, we know that when the word is proclaimed, there is eternal consequence. Open our hearts to it with reverence and joy. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Standing together to read Luke's Gospel chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. This is the word of God. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these 
things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. For many of us, after Christmas, there is an understandable sense of letdown. There's been such buildup and such emotional excitement that it's understandable there would be an emotional letdown. Or perhaps it's because we love someone who is no longer with us on this shore but rejoices with God on another. It's understandable. But people of God... Because of the gospel, we have every reason to continue to grow steadily in a sense of wonder and awe, faithfulness and obedience as Christians, as the depth of the reality of the incarnation of our Lord becomes more and more a part of us year after year, no matter the fluctuation of emotion. For the genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're on the solid foundation. We're built upon the rock. Our lives are on Christ. So the text now turns from the birth of Jesus, which we saw last week, to proclamation. And what we know of Jesus should lead the church to bear faithful and fervent witness, no matter what the emotions of life may be. So notice, first of all, with me that an angel appears to shepherds. An angel appears to shepherds. Verses 8 and 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. Shepherds in the fields watching their flocks, the Greek word means living outdoors. They were living out of doors, caring for their sheep, for their flock. Do you suppose that some of these sheep may have been designated for temple sacrifice in Jerusalem? Well, we can't know that for sure, but whether that is true or not, the text does help us to understand that these shepherds will meet the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the great shepherd of his sheep, before this text is out. Later, Judaism represents shepherds as a despised class. It was very difficult for them to remain ritually pure. They were considered unreliable in courts of law, but remember... David had been a shepherd of the flock and wrote by divine inspiration the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Christ himself is the great and good shepherd of the sheep. And later, pastors are called in the New Testament shepherds of the flock. In any case, these shepherds were certainly very lowly. They were poor and insignificant in the eyes of the world. An angel appears to them according to verse 9. The verb means to stand by. So standing right by these shepherds. There they are caring for their sheep. All of a sudden there's an angel of the Lord. And God's glory shone around the shepherds. His doxa, his glory, kavod in the Old Testament. The shekinah that filled the tabernacle and the temple. God's presence as this portal from heaven is opened by this angel that comes into the presence of these shepherds. Can you imagine that at night? There they are in the night, and all of a sudden, the day spring from on high has just been born, and light comes into this darkened world. A dark world that was speeding to a darker hell, but the light shines because Christ Jesus has been born into this world. 
And the response, according to verse 9, is fear. I love the old version, and they were sore afraid, which is a very good translation, isn't it? There are two Greek words for fear brought together that could be translated, they feared with great fear. When you see an angel from heaven, when someone in the Bible does, usually it is accompanied with fear. Well, there must be a magnificent reason for the angel to have appeared to these shepherds, don't you think? We saw that the angel had come to Zechariah, that Gabriel had announced the birth of John the Baptist, and he also was afraid. We know that when Gabriel came to Mary, there was the great announcement of the incarnation of our Lord, and Gabriel calmed her fear. There must be a great reason that the angel has come, and that leads us to see the second thing in the text, the angel's evangelical announcement. Let's read it again. Verses 10 through 12, the angel's evangelical announcement. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. God is condescending in his grace. He is not bringing a message of condemnation, but a message of peace. What does the angel do? He first calms their fear. Don't be afraid. Fear of judgment that strikes the heart, even now by the rays of heavenly radiance, has been removed by the coming of this child who unites heaven and earth, ultimately by the shedding of his own blood on the cross. The announcement is one of good news. The gospel is fundamentally good news for sinners. A news that brings great joy, that is for all the people, no matter your nationality, your sex, race, position in life, privileges, or lack of them, it is good news for all. And the reason? The Savior is born in the city of David. Now, the terms Savior, Christ, and Lord, these three terms... This is the only place in the New Testament in which these three terms come together at once. Let these names be powerful to your soul, though I can only mention them in passing. The one who came, the reason this is good news, the reason it brings good, great joy to all the people is because he is the Savior. He has come to save us from our sins, to remove our guilt Isaiah 43:11 I even I am the Lord and beside me there is no savior well this is Jehovah become man he is Christ the Messiah the anointed prophesied and longed for ever since the first revelation of him in Genesis 3:15 and he is the Lord not only the mediatorial lord but had I time to argue it I think this also is a reference to the deity of Christ. He is God himself. Savior, Christ, Lord. That's good news, isn't it? This will be your sign, he says. You'll find this newly born child wrapped in swaddling cloths. No surprise. The ancients would wrap the baby's limbs so that they would remain strong and straight. But you will find him lying in an animal trough. What a message from heaven to these shepherds. The Messiah, the one who is Savior, the one who is Christ, the one who is Lord, 
You're not going to find him in the great cities of the world. You're not going to find him with the regal and royal. You'll find him in an animal trough. What is the text telling us? It is speaking to us of the humiliation of the Son of God. He took our nature. God became a real man. Mary gave birth to a real little baby boy who was the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God. And your entire salvation depends on this. But not only did he take our nature, he also took upon himself our condition. The infinite cannot reach farther down than coming into finitude. Can he? Let me answer that question by saying yes. He can, the infinite can come farther down than finitude because he not only entered into time and space and became a finite human being, he came in order to save sinners, sinful, fallen, finite human beings such as you and me. And unless you see yourself as a fallen, needy sinner, you will never see the glory, the wonder, or the need of the incarnation of our Lord as we find it in this text. So be amazed. Just take a moment and pause and be amazed, will you? That God came down, that the angel went to shepherds, that he announced this great good evangelical news, and that he has come not only to the finite, he has come to fallen, needy sinners like you and me. Will you let that penetrate the depths of your soul and your heart this morning? But then thirdly, we have a glimpse of heavenly praise. A glimpse of heavenly praise. Verses 13 and 14. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so all of a sudden, there is a glimpse of the angelic world. Hendrickson makes the very astute and wonderful comment that God is so considerate that he did not first send the host, the army of angels, and then the one to make the announcement, but he sent the one to make the announcement. And after calming their fear, he sent the host of the armies of angelic beings. These angels remember. These angels know this baby that lies there in that animal trough. They have worshipped him ever since Christ, the eternal God, created them. They have been worshipping him. John 12 tells us that the angelic beings of Isaiah 6, read to us by Pastor McDonald this morning, the angelic beings were worshipping Christ. But here the angels are in awe of what God is doing that God would condescend to become a man to save sinners. The very angels are amazed. And the praise that is offered by this heavenly host of angels, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels are amazed to see the unfolding of God's plan of salvation. Peter tells us that these are things into which angels long to look. And if this is so... How much deeper should be your amazement, those of you who have faith in Christ and know an eternal relationship with Him? 
The amazing thing about this praise to the glory of God is that this glorious God has sent his son in order to bring peace. Peace between heaven and earth. Peace between the infinitely holy God and those of us who deserved his infinite displeasure because of our sin. In order to have peace with God, you must have a spotless robe of righteousness. And this, this little baby would provide for you and me by going to a cross and paying the penalty of our sins. Don't you see? God, God in his righteous judgment sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. That's why this little baby was born. And then he took the spear of his judgment and he broke it over his knee. There is now peace, peace between God and sinners who trust in Christ alone for redemption. Upon men of his good pleasure, the angels sing. What does this mean? Good pleasure is the language of divine sovereignty. The angels are saying that it means sovereign grace excludes all human merit. That his sovereign good pleasure rests upon those he intends to save, which is a multitude which no man can number. And this has been true from eternity past. God in sovereign grace intended to send his son who voluntarily came to redeem us from our sins. So get this, people of God. Before there ever was a sinner... Before there was a sinner, before ever there was a sinner, there was a Savior, Christ the Lord. God planned this work of redemption in his sovereignty. And in their message, all the credit of salvation is ascribed to God, glory to God in the highest, and only when God is seen to be in his rightful position do we see ourselves as we really are and see our need for what it really is. Do you understand that? If it took the condescension of the second person of the Trinity to save me, what must my need be? If it took the condescension of the second person of the Godhead to redeem me, how deep my sin. How impossible, how utterly impossible for me to save myself. If this child must grow and on the cross pay the penalty of my sin... What must the wrath of God be that only God in the flesh could pay its penalty? That it required the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, to pay the penalty of my sin by the shedding of his blood on Calvary. Imagine this as we look at verse 14. Imagine this. God's glory. His greatness. His brightness. The weight of his character, his holiness, and peace with sinners are spoken in the same breath. (laughs) Do we sit here unmoved? The glory of God and peace with sinners spoken in the same breath breath. I am astounded and amazed at what God has done for us sinners. Are you? Well, what's to be done? Well, the fourth thing we see, the shepherds seek the Savior, of course. They'll go to Bethlehem. They want to see the Messiah. 
The presence of angels tells of the harmony between heaven and earth restored in Christ. Heaven now is open for sinners. The angels left the shepherds in pitch black. The shepherds obeyed and found the child just as the angels told them, and they quickly went to find the Messiah. And I've often wondered, did they, did these shepherds with their rough working hands, did they touch the little cheek of the incarnate Son of God and rub his face? I don't know if they did, but he's that near. God actually came into this world and became a little baby, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, real flesh and blood. So notice the order. The word is spoken from heaven in faith that is believed. What do you expect to happen next? The word is spoken, it is believed, and they go and tell people about it. They have to believe it. They have to tell it. They bear witness. They bear testimony. And so in verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. The first evangelists after the birth of Jesus Christ were lowly, humble shepherds, people who were not great in the eyes of the world. You know, you don't have to be great in the eyes of the world to be great. What makes you great is your union with Christ. Christ makes his people great. You don't have to be great in the eyes of the world to tell somebody about Jesus. You just have to know him. And if we know him, it should bubble up from our hearts. We should want others to know just as the shepherds did on that day. Danker says, depth of spiritual commitment is determined by the quality of one's fidelity after the majestic voice is no longer heard. They heard the voice, they believed it, they bore witness. Which leads us to see, fifthly, this. Responses to the shepherd's witness. What are the responses? Well, generally, there's wonderment. Understandably so, verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then for Mary in particular, there was ongoing meditation. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The words, the participle used here means trying to draw conclusions. She's wondering what all of this means. She's trying to put all of these things together that have happened. The announcement, the the virginal conception, the birth, the coming of these shepherds. What does it all mean? A.T. Robertson says, placing together for comparison... Mary would go over every detail in the words of Gabriel and of the shepherds and compare the sayings with the facts so far developed and brood over it with a mother's high hopes and joy. And of course the shepherds, well, their response in verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Like the angels, they glorify and honored God. Which leads me to the sixth thing to see as we look at this text. What should your response be? What should your response be and mine? Mary heard about it and she could hardly take it in. Will you join her in holy meditation? But as you do, I want you to contemplate this. You know more 
than Mary did when she pondered these things in her heart. You are privileged to have a complete canon, the whole Word of God. You know more. You know more about who Jesus is, why He came, what He did. You know more about theology. And I think that is a challenge. Because if we know more to whom much is given, much is required, should we have less to ponder than Mary? Should we have less for which to praise God than the shepherds? Should we have less wonderment? No, we should have more of all of those things. More, more of all of those things should permeate your heart and mine as Christians. So let's join with her in her holy meditation on the basis of what we know, that the infinite became finite, the eternal subject to time, the unchangeable became changeable, the divine became human, God became man. But the infinite became finite. Listen to this. The infinite became finite without ceasing to be infinite. The eternal was subject to time without ceasing to be eternal. The unchangeable became changeable without ceasing to be unchangeable. The divine became human without ceasing to be divine. God became man without ceasing to be God. Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. We have much more knowledge on which to meditate than did Mary. And the mystery just grows deeper, doesn't it? Listen to the words of Samuel Rutherford, one of the Scottish divines to our Westminster Assembly when our confession was drawn up. Rutherford says, The work of Christ's incarnation, oh, what a depth is in it. God and dust married together. How blood remains in personal union with God. How the finite manhood subsists in his infinite personality. And how the Godhead is the second person and not in the first or third assumed our human nature. And yet but one Godhead in all the three. How the Godhead stood under the manhood that was stricken. And how the Godhead as a friend to help held him up. And yet the Godhead suffered not. How Jesus man died... And Jesus, God, lived and remained in death, God and man. And so I say to you, as I said just recently at John and Macy's wedding, when you contemplate these truths and these realities, can you set him too high? I mean in your life, can you set him too high? Can you? Look at who he is. Look at what he has done. Look at where he is. Look at what he will do. Can you set him too high in your life? When the infinite God came down, 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 infinitely down to redeem sinners like you and me? You know this poem by 17th century poet Richard Crashaw that the great angel-binding light should shrink his blaze to shine in a poor shepherd's eye, that the unmeasured God so low should sink as prisoner in a few poor rags to lie, that from his mother's breast he milk should drink, who feeds with nectar heaven's fair family, 
that a vile manger his low bed should prove, who in a throne of stars thunders above, that he whom the sun serves should faintly peep through clouds of infant flesh, that he, the old eternal word, should be a child and weep, that he who made fire should fear the cold, that heaven's high majesty his court should keep in a clay cottage, by each blast controlled, that glory's self should serve our griefs and fears, and free eternity submit to years. I can never repeat to you anything more profound than that, nor can I say anything more life-changing if your faith is in the God who became flesh and dwelt among us, the Godhead united in perfect union, in perfect union with the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, the Godhead united perfectly with the one who was scourged and wounded and bloody and cursed on a cross that you might be set free. And this he did voluntarily, not because he had to, but because we could be saved in no other way, glorifying his Father and showing infinite love to sinners like us. This is the love of God that passes all understanding, isn't it? This is the love founded deep, 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 deep in the character of God and his electing purpose. What a mystery. What a mystery. We abused him, he embraced us. We despised him, he kissed us. We rejected him, he accepted us. We broke his law, he paid the penalty of that broken law. We deserved hell, he came and took our hell. He came to take our judgment. Why? The glorious God, the glorious God would be at peace with us and would have you be at peace with him. I read this in Vespers just recently. I think it comes from James Montgomery Boyce, but he got it from somebody else, so I don't know the, the origin. A young man who was a soldier in the Russian army The young man had been given a very responsible post, paymaster, to see that the right amount of money was distributed each month to the soldiers. He took to gambling, and he gambled away a great deal of the government's money as well as his own. In due course, the young man received notice that a representative of the czar was coming to check the accounts, and he knew that he was in trouble. That evening, he got out the books and totaled up the funds owed Then he went to the safe and got out his own pitifully small amount of money. And as he sat there and looked at the two, he was overwhelmed at the astronomical debt versus his own small change. He was ruined. He knew he would be disgraced. At last, the young man determined to take his life. He pulled out his revolver, placed it on the table before him, and wrote a summation of his misdeeds. At the bottom of the ledger where he had totaled up his illegal borrowings, he wrote, a great debt, who can pay? He decided that at the stroke of midnight, he would die. As the evening wore on, the young soldier grew drowsy and eventually fell asleep. That night, Tsar Nicholas I, as was sometimes his custom, 
was making the rounds of this particular barracks. Seeing a light, he stopped, looked in, and saw the young man asleep. He recognized him immediately and, looking over his shoulder, saw the ledger book and realized all that had taken place. He was about to awaken him and put him under arrest when his eye fastened on the young man's message. A great debt. Who can pay? Suddenly, with a surge of magnanimity, he reached over, wrote one word at the bottom of the ledger, and slipped out. The one word at the bottom of the ledger, Nicholas. A great debt. Who can pay? Nicholas. A great debt. Who can pay? An infinite upon infinite upon infinite debt because we broke the law of the infinite holy God. Who can pay? Christ came into this world and he dipped his pen in the red ink of his own shed blood and he writes over our debts, Jesus. The debt is paid. The debt is paid. What is Christmas? God came into the world and he paid your debt. Trust him, believe him. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.